0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're continuing with a series called More Than a Moment. And a more than a moment meaning this, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus. So many times in our Christian faith, we look at the resurrection of Jesus. It is. It is the anchor of our whole faith. It's without the resurrection of Jesus, there would be no Christianity. We would just be just some, a bunch of people that go to a tomb and give, and give uh, homage to a um, to some bones. And, but his bones aren't there. He's alive and he's resurrected. And so we're looking coming out of the season of Easter and what does this mean? So we're looking at it was more than just one moment. It started something that has reverberated throughout history and is continuing today. So we're going to be looking into the book of Acts. Now it's so important to understand through our Easter season here God did amazing things. God, we proclaimed the message of the gospel at the play. There was a little over 4,000 people that came. For us here at our Easter service, there was a little, it was close to about 3,000 people. We've had close to 300 people come forward and give their lives to Jesus. And that's not including those who stayed in their seats, which is totally fine. So God did amazing things and people's lives were changed. And anytime Easter comes, we need to look at our lives. We need to say, am I living in the resurrection power of the resurrection of Jesus? It's a real question. For many people, their lives were transformed at Easter. Actually, the disciples as well, their lives were radically, totally changed. And I believe God wants each and every one of our lives to be changed with the understanding of the resurrection so after salvation we get saved that's wonderful after we're baptized that's wonderful what now after the resurrection of Jesus what now is Christianity just about that resurrection or some there are some other things and so this is the question what is next what's next for your life what was next for the disciples And what's really great about the Bible is that actually the book of Acts tells us what's next. It tells us what happens after the resurrection. And it tells you and me what can happen in our own lives after we are saved and are following Jesus. So in Scripture, it's broken up this way. It's broken up the life of Jesus. You have the cross and death of Jesus you have the resurrection of Jesus you have the ascension of Jesus when he went to heaven which Pastor George talked about last week but before Jesus went into heaven he gave us two promises he says I'm coming back one day and I'm going to come back the same way and that's wonderful but he gave us another promise and that promise is for the here and now because I'm glad Jesus is coming back I'm excited about that that's going to be a good day but what about today? What about what I'm going through today? How does that help me right now, today? And that's the question I want to answer for us today. So we move and we look into the book of Acts and we see a lot about the Holy Spirit. And today, it's going to be more of a teaching today, but my prayer is that you would leave with a great understanding about the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, Holy Spirit. All right, so we can say it. We're not afraid of it. We can, we can understand it then if we begin by walking this journey of looking into it. So this is one of the areas, which I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, that has a lot of confusion. It just, it just does. There's a lot of confusion in the church about it. People don't know about it. Maybe people have grown up with some type of teaching that just weren't consistent with the Bible. I grew up around a little bit of that, not a whole lot. And there's a lot of assumption about what the Holy Spirit is, what's the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, who is he, how does he really, how does he interact in my life? Now before I get any further, we wanted through this series, which was last week, this week, and then two more, um, we want to put something in your hands that can really help all of us on this journey of understanding the Holy Spirit. And when you leave today... um, there was a, he's one of our elders, and he was a, he's been a pastor at our church for many years. He's a missionary now. His name is Dr. Russ Fraze, and he wrote a Holy Spirit training manual. And I've read this. I'm telling you, it is the best book on the Holy Spirit that I've read. And I, I'm, I'm just not saying that because I like him. It is the best understanding of the Holy Spirit, methodical, step-by-step step, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we want to make it available to you. And you can pick one up for $10. And I remind you at the, at the end of my message here to pick one. But here's a here's great thing. Because of who Dr. Russ is, if, when you buy one for, for $10 and it helps you, he will then, that will allow him to give, to give two of them away to leaders in other countries so that they can understand the Holy Spirit, as well, so you can stop by and pick one up he 's also available to sign them if you want him to do that, so we can you can do that at the end of service. But my idea is to understand and to explain the Holy Spirit because it 's been misrepresented in such a way in Christianity, and I want to try to talk about it as simple as I possibly can in a simple but profound way because understanding. This key of the Holy Spirit has been a major part of my life. At the age of five, I, I, I was saved. I remember God, God totally touched my life. And you might think, Jason, how did you know you needed a Savior at the age of five? I promise you, I was in church, and I felt like a dirty, rotten scoundrel. And I was crying, and I was like, what's going on? And my mom's like, sweetheart, what's the matter? And I was like, I don't know what's the matter. I, I feel, I'm just, I don't know. I, I feel bad. And she said, sweetheart, you need Jesus. I was like, I do, I need Jesus, give me Jesus. And so I got saved that day. My life was never the same. I got baptized um, at the age of five as well. And then later at the age of six, something profound happened to me. Um, The pastor of the church gave a message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I came forward because I thought, man, if there's more God, I want some of that. Give me some of that. So I came forward. And I'll I'll never forget, um, they were praying for me. And God touched my life in a very significant way. And actually, um, I began to speak in other tongues, which the Bible is very clear, is one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit. It's not the only evidence. And if you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't mean you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But I began to speak in tongues at the age of six. And it's been the key of my life. I haven't been able to do anything in, in my personal life or in ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I recognize that 100%. You'll never do anything on your own strength, your own cleverness. Yeah, you might be able to do some things, but you could have done a a lot more if you would have submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want us, because it's so important to me, I want to explain this in a way that helps you see it. And maybe that through the grace of God, through His Word, He'll impact you in a fresh way today. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1. Um, looking at first verse, starting at verse three. But let me set this up just for a moment. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he writes about the things that Jesus did before he ascended to heaven. And um, he's talking about it, and this is what he says in Acts chapter one, starting verse three. Says to whom, speaking of the disciples, Jesus, he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs so this is one of the documents that we hold to know that Jesus was alive and he was with the disciples after his resurrection being seen by them during 40 days everyone say 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of god so Jesus was with his disciples so it's, it, it, that is a pretty infallible proof. So if the disciples watch Jesus get crucified, they know he's dead. They, they watch him be put into the tomb, which they know he's dead. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there hanging out with them. That's a pretty significant infallible proof. So actually, on, on one occasion, I mean, it's very hard to deny. Jesus, are you really alive? Is this really you? I mean, maybe you're sitting down dinner. You think, Jesus, is that really you? Is this you? What's my mom's name? Do you, do you still remember my mom's name? I mean, do you ask them questions? They knew this was Jesus. So one point it says they showed, Jesus showed them the nail holes in his hands and feet. On another occasion, which I love this one, the disciples are hanging out. They're like having a meeting, like talking about what are we gonna do, you know? What's going on? And all of a sudden it says that Jesus appeared in the midst of them. So they're like hanging out. And then all of a sudden Jesus like, And what I love what Jesus says, once he like, once he shows up, he says this, peace be with you. And I thought, yeah, I would need somebody to say that to me if all of a sudden the person showed up like, boom, there he is, probably because they were freaking out. But these are some of the infallible proofs that Jesus was alive. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He rose, which is to celebrate on Easter, and he was in walking with his disciples and talking to them for 40 days. This number is very important. 40 is a significant number in Scripture. It's a number of preparation. It's a number when women are pregnant, you're pregnant for around 40 weeks. When you see the number 40 in Scripture, it means something is being prepared. Something is about to happen. Something is going to take place. And Jesus was preparing his church for what we're going to talk about today. And this might freak some of you out, and I hope it doesn't. My hope for you is that is that you would leave with an understanding of the Holy Spirit. I'm not concerned if you come and you don't fully under understand the Spirit. My concern is as a pastor that you leave not understanding the Holy Spirit. So we'll continue to read in Acts chapter one, starting in verse four, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. For the promise of the Father, which was what? Which he said, you have heard from me. Actually, there's an account in John 13, 14, and 15 that Jesus was telling them about the Holy Spirit. Everyone say, Holy Spirit. He was telling them about the Holy Spirit. So, for John, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he was distinguishing there's a difference between the baptism of water and what is about to come. Remember, 40 days. He walked with them for 40 days. So i want to explain this to you so that you can be more confident about this word that we call Pentecost and about the Holy Spirit. It's very important, though, we understand where it came from. Pentecost is just not this random word that someone thought, what are we going to call that time when the Holy Spirit came and showed up and filled people with the Spirit? Let's call it Pentecost. That's not how we got the word. It's so important for you to understand the correlation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there are actually, um, there are three feasts that the Jewish people celebrate. Three feasts. Three feasts is this. Basically, God wants them to stop. It's kind of like a holiday. I want you to remember. Remember something. Remember an event. Remember what I did. It's kind of like the Fourth of July. We stop. We take a holiday. It's more significant than the Fourth of July, but just to, to help you understand, we We hang out. That day we celebrate the independence of our nation. Christmas, that day we stop and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And there were three feasts. And every one of them, they were the major feasts. There were other ones. These are major feasts. Every one of them was stop and remember. Don't forget what I did. And these three feasts corresponded with the children of Israel's journey out of Egypt. And the first one, I'm sure all of you remember it, is when they were slaves in Egypt. And the day the death angel passed through the streets of Egypt, Moses had went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, I don't think so. And Moses said, all right, you asked for it. And they got these plagues. And the last one was a death angel. And God said, if you place the blood of a lamb on your house, the death angel, and listen to this, will pass over your house. So that's what he told them. So he said this, stop. And remember this. Stop and remember. And this feast or holiday is to be called Passover, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But also, I want you to celebrate another holiday, another feast that's just 50 days after Passover. And this one is called, are you ready for this? Pentecost. So Pentecost was something that was in the Old Testament. And Pentecost is to remember, so the people of Israel left Egypt, so they left out of Egypt, they were on their way, they came to Mount Sinai, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, a cloud comes down over the mountain, a loud sound and rumbling and fire shows up. I don't know, did anyone, was anyone able to watch the Ten Commandments this Easter season? Okay, a couple of you. It's, it's The graphics just every year you think, man, that's so cheesy. But anyway, it's, but it's cool and I love it, I like watching it. And you saw in the, in the movie a fire coming down. Well, this was when Moses went up, he received the Ten Commandments. He came back down to the children of Israel. And there, God gave them, in one way, their constitution. How you are to live your life. These are the rules by which you're to live now. You can, you're going to you're gonna live godly lives because you're going to follow these Ten Commandments. You've been given the law. And God said, I want you to remember that day that I gave you the law, and I want you to call it Pentecost. And there was another festival, and I'll talk more about Pentecost in just a moment. Another festival that, or holiday that comes towards the end of the year. Now, it's so important. You might think, Jason, why are we talking about these feasts? They're Jewish feasts. What do they have to do with me? My friends, they have everything to do with what Jesus has done in your life. And I'll explain that in just a moment. So there's another feast that comes during harvest season. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And this one remembers the period of time after you got the law, after you left Mount Sinai, and you spent 40 years wandering in the desert. I've often wondered, man, what an existence. But anyway, 40 years of wandering in the desert. It's actually where modern-day Saudi Arabia. If you want to know where they wandered, look at Saudi Arabia, think, well, just draw circles like this, and you'll be like, that's where they wandered. But God said, I want you to remember that time that you wandered in the desert for 40 years, and then you went to the land which I promised you, which is the promised land. And this is going to be called, like I said, the Feast of Tabernacle. Now, for most of us, we understand the first feast, which is the Feast of Passover. And we understand the Feast of Tabernacle. We've heard something about that. But there's a lot of confusion about why these matter. Why do these matter? Why does these even matter to us? And there's a lot of confusion around this one in the middle called Pentecost. One question that I'd say as a pastor I get often is, how much of the Old Testament, Jason, do I have to follow? How much do I need to obey? Do I, do I follow the laws? Do I do the practices? Do I need to cut my hair a certain way? Do I need to eat certain food? And the answer to that question is this. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill it. In other words, we don't do away with it completely because the principles still apply. Not so the practices. But the principle and the meaning of it still lives in our lives. And it's important to understand how they correlate and connect. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he said this just to just to back up what I just said he said this do not think that i came to destroy the law which is which is the first five books of the old testament or the prophets which is the last few books i did not come to destroy but to fulfill everyone say fulfill very important that you understand jesus fulfilled the old testament law so i want to talk to you and 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 Every one of the feasts tied to something that happened in the Old Testament and when the law was given. So, the first feast is called, and you have on your notes there, the feast of Passover. Now, these characteristics, you may have never, I heard a couple people last service said, I've never known that ever before about the feast, and it blew them away. Hopefully, this speaks to many of us here, to, here today. The characteristics of this feast are fascinating, and I'll tell you why. But first, let me give you some of these characteristics. On a Friday at 9 a.m., they, they're remembering, remember, they're remembering when they, when they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on the doorpost when they lived in Egypt. But at 9 a.m., they would sacrifice the lamb. And many people still do this today, and they, and they have lamb on, um, on Passover. The second thing that they would do is the lamb was put in the oven at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Then around 9 p.m. that night, they would sit down and eat with their families. So you have a 9 a.m. sacrifice, you have a 3 p.m., you put the lamb in the oven. And then uh, what was really great about all this is this was to symbolize the covering of sins. And so that's the third thing. The sacrifice covered their sins. So remember, this is what it symbolized. It covered their sins. The sin was still there, but it did cover them. So here's the question. How did Jesus fulfill this feast? Or did it even matter about this feast and Jesus? Do they even connect? Let me explain. How did Jesus fulfill this? Well, first of all, Jesus was put on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. His trial was at nighttime, and he was put on the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. Very interesting, huh? And you know what's really cool is that how did Jesus fulfill this? You know what time Jesus was put in the, uh, in the tomb? He's put in the tomb at 3 p.m. You know, what's really, really amazing is that Jesus just didn't come to cover our sins, but he did this. He came to actually remove our sins completely as far as the east is from the west. He pulled, he pulled our sins from us completely. That's good news. So Jesus fulfilled the Passover feast. You might be thinking, Jason, I don't know if that's true. Did you just take an Old Testament story and try to make it fit with Jesus? Well, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says this, for indeed Christ, our Passover, in the original language, it says Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. The feast were a shadow, a type of what was to come. It wasn't the real deal. It wasn't the real thing. So when Jesus became the Lamb, this feast was fulfilled. Passover feast was fulfilled. Now we practice communion to remember what Jesus already has done. We don't do it to to look forward. Maybe one day he will do it. We take communion because Jesus has already removed your sins with his blood. He has been sacrificed and his sin has covered you. He was dead, but now he is alive. And so... The second feast that they would celebrate is the Feast of Pentecost. So Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Passover. Now, Pentecost is a word that many of us try to avoid. And you might be thinking, Jason, listen, don't be bringing up this Pentecost thing. We're going to get snakes out next, and you're going to handle snakes while you're talking about this. Is that, is that what's really going on? But I want to talk to you about it because there's a lot of misunderstanding And we've, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding because we've created our own definition of Pentecost and people who who are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. Um, Do you know what the word Pentecost actually means? Because the first part of it, Pente, P-E-N-T-E, means this, means five. The first five books of the Bible are called Pentateuch. So Pente, which is five, and Kost, or Kosti, which is a Greek word, it means this, to the tenth power, or sorry, to the tenth So, Pentecost, now prepare yourself. Hope you don't leave the church over this. The Pentecost means 50. That's crazy, isn't it? That is nuts. That's all it means, 50. And it's a festival to be celebrated 50 days after Passover. It's amazing, though, how afraid the church and Christians have become of this word. And I think it's because it's been packaged in a a different way. And scared a lot of people off. But I also believe it's been the strategy of Satan himself to keep God's children away from the best things of God. I really do. My friends, God wants you to experience the best things of Him. He wants you to be saved, and that's amazing and that's a miracle. But the question is what is next for you? What now? You've been saved, Jesus is your Passover lamb. But what now? Is that really what Christianity is all about? Just about my salvation? Or is there more to the story? Now, this feast, again, was to remember, the Feast of Pentecost, was to remember when God gave the law on Mount Sinai. And you can read all about that in the book of Exodus. But this is what happened in Mount Sinai. A cloud descended with a loud noise and fire. And you, can, you, can, you need to double check my facts. Do not believe what everything comes out of my mouth. I want you to find out that it's true yourself. A cloud descended with a loud noise and fire on Mount Sinai. Secondly, God wrote this, his law on the tablets of stone. Thirdly, on that day, which is really crazy, 3,000 people died. So Moses comes down to offer them, hey, these are the laws we're going to live by. And while Moses was away, a lot of people went a little crazy. And they thought, well, Moses is never going to come back. What are we going to do? I know, let's melt some gold down and make our own God and worship that. Well, because of their disobedience, 3,000 of them died. I, w- I want you to remember this, 3,000 people died the day the law was given. But fourthly, what happened on this day? Because God established the nation of Israel. In other words, He wrote their constitution and said, You are now my nation. And this is how you're to live your life. Now, this is great. Now, let's see how this is fulfilled in the New Testament. How was the day of Pentecost fulfilled? The day Pentecost comes, and Jesus told them to wait. He said, I'm sending my Holy Spirit, and we'll read that in just a moment. But this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost originally was to remember when the law was given, Mount Sinai. So every time they had a Pentecost, they would remember that time. But this time, something different happens. Jesus says, get together in a room, and I'm going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And when they do that, this is what happened. The Holy Spirit descends with a loud sound and fire. It's in Acts chapter 2. You can read it. And instead of God writing the laws on some tablet and said, here, follow those things, it says this, he wrote his law on their hearts. Wow, this is significant. And, you know, when they remembered that 3,000 people died on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament, or what they were to remember that by when the law was given, here's what happened on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament. 3,000 people got saved. And this is good stuff. And then, as you know, that God established his, his, uh, his nation on this day, On the day of Pentecost, this is what happened. God established his church. See, the meaning and power of that day is wrapped up in all of these things that we just looked at. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, just as Jesus told them. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, just like on the day at Mount Sinai. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared on them divided tongues of fire, also just like a Mount Sinai. So it's like, whoa, what's going on? Loud noise, fire, wind, and and one sat upon each of them. Instead of the cloud and the noise and the fire sitting on top of a mountain. This sat on, on each and every one of them in the room. This is something personal now, something that shifted, something that changed. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then just so you, just so you know, the next verse says, but this was just for this point of time and it's not for anybody else. It doesn't say that, my friends. I don't care what anybody tells you, the power and baptism of the Holy Spirit is for just as, as it was for the disciples, it is for you and me today, right now. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain some more about this one. But what's what's so important, actually, let me move on. I want before I talk more about Pentecost because I'm itching to do that, I want let me let me finish how to how did um, how is the new, sorry, the Feast of the Tabernacles fulfilled as well. Remember, this one was when they wandered in the desert. They, were in, they came out of Egypt for 40 years, and they didn't live in permanent homes, and they lived in little tents, and they reached the promised land. So this is what was happening. They wandered, and they lived in temporary huts. This is the third feast that they celebrate. And they were wandering in their temporary huts, but one day they were brought into their final home, which is the promised land. And they celebrate this feast during the harvest season. And some scholars actually call this the feast of trumpets. So they tie them very closely together. So how has this one been fulfilled? Well, it hasn't. This one has yet to be fulfilled. So what does that have to do with you? Well, here it is. We're living on this temporary earth. You and I. Paul actually says in in Corinthians, he says, we're just aliens. We're just strangers. We're, We're not home yet, my friends. And also, one day, we're going to be brought into our final home, which is going to be in heaven. Now, before this day comes, my friends, there's going to be a great and final harvest of people. Now, remember, they celebrate the the Feast of Tabernacles at harvest time. Scripture is very clear. Before this day, when we are brought home to our final home, Jesus comes back, that there's going to be a great revival on the earth. Revelation describes right before Jesus returned, there was a great and Amazing revival. Now in, in our day and age when we think, you know what, boy, the church, boy, we're just barely hanging on. I don't know if we can make it, and the, the world's getting so evil, and how are we, how we ever going to survive? And listen, I, I refuse to believe that, that my eschatology is Satan's kicking in the front door of the church and we're trying to make our way and run out the back. That is not. That is not the truth. Actually, Jesus said something like this, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So did you know that the church grows by 6.9% every year? You didn't know that, but now you do. Did you know that that's actually three times faster than the rate of population growth? And did you know that it is three times faster than the rate and growth of Islam? Now here's the deal. It's happening in nations all around the world, but it hasn't come to America yet but it's on its way. I believe with all of my heart, it's on its way. And the fourth thing is this. There will be a trumpet sound when Christ, the third thing, there will be a trumpet sound when Christ returns. And that's why many scholars call it the feast of trumpets. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it speaks, and you can look this up later. It speaks about when Jesus returns, there's going to be a trumpet sound. He's going to be riding on a white horse, and Jesus is up in heaven, and he's waiting, and he's like, Father, is this the day? And the father says, no, we're going to get a few more people saved today. No, my church is still growing. No, my gospel is go- still going forth, so Jesus waits. Is this today, Father? No, not today. And so the, the, the white horse is over in the stables, just waiting, he's just waiting there. But one day father's going to give the, the, the head nod, just like, come on, it's time to steal that base. He's going to give the head nod, and Jesus is going to mount the white horse, and he's going to come back, and the, the sky's going to split open. He's going to come back on, uh, uh, in the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem where I stood a few, several months ago. He's going to come back right there just as he went away. My friends, you can bet on that horse because you're going to win. It's coming. So, most of us understand, yes, Jesus died for me. Yes, Passover happened. I get the whole Passover thing. I'm free. Jesus removed my sins. He was the Lamb of God. We get that. And we get the whole Jesus is coming back one day. That's wonderful. But how many people are completely confused about the one in the middle called Pentecost? It is not meant to be confusing. Most of us have been told to avoid it. Many seminaries tell their people to to just, just stay away from that. We've been trained. And even some people go so far to say that the things of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit are of the devil. They're actually not of God. They're of the devil. And most people are turned off by the Holy Spirit because of something actually the Bible doesn't say about the Holy Spirit. But because of something someone else told them about the Holy Spirit. And I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit, my friends, is something beautiful. It's something powerful. It is not weird. It is a gift from Jesus to us. And God wants the Feast of Pentecost fulfilled in each one of our lives. Young people, this was the greatest thing in my life that I could ever hold on to with the power of the Holy Spirit surging through my veins. And God wants this for each of our lives. Now, do you have to understand Pentecost to go to heaven? No, you don't. You You just gotta be covered by the blood of Jesus and you're gonna enter in heaven that way. But while we're here on earth, for the here and now, this is available to us. So, on the day of Pentecost, many people didn't understand it. You might be here this morning and think, Jason, I don't know if I totally understand it. That's fine. No, a lot of people didn't understand it, them. Some even mocked them. And they said they were a bunch of crazies. They said they were a bunch of drunk people. They said they were weird. But actually, Peter got up and he began to preach. He said, Hey, hey, hang on a second. Wait a minute. These people aren't drunk as you suppose. This is something. Amazing. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. The Bible says people watching said this. It said that they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what in the world does this mean? What's going on? What really is this that's happening? And this is a good question. Whatever could this mean? You might be asking the question today. Really, what does this mean? And I want to tell you as simply as I possibly can what this means. This may not be what you thought. This may not be what what you've heard someone say. But my friends, please do not let the experience of someone else tell you what the Holy Spirit is. Let God's Word speak for itself. Okay? And I'll give you that challenge. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit wants to give you power in three ways. The first one is this. He empowers me to live righteously. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit does. Remember that the day of Pentecost was about the law being given. Well, this didn't work. They fell short. They just, they never measured up. And Paul said it. So the question is, think about this. Why did God give the law if they could, if he knew they could never measure up? You ever thought about that? Paul answers the question in, uh, Romans 3.20 says this, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Oh, I get it. It reveals to us that you can't measure up. It reveals to you you can never do it. You need something. So instead of an external law written on stone... God said, I'm going to write my law on your heart. I'm going to write it inside of you. It's going to become a part of you. I'm going to take the old away from you and I'm going to put in the new. And I'm going to put in my Holy Spirit to help you live your life. And when the Holy Spirit writes its law on your heart, something amazing happens. And here it is. I want you to hear me. When the Holy Spirit writes his his law on your heart, we lose the taste for sin. This is what happens. I've seen it in my life, and I'm not saying it's just not one experience where you go, boom, there it is. Now I don't have to do any more. Listen, I I can track. There were times, and all of a sudden, I found myself being tempted in areas that I, I haven't been tempted in a long time. I said, What's going on? And I reckon, and I realized I have not. I need to be filled afresh and anew with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I begin to, to seek God, and he fills me fresh and anew. And when I sense that, all of a sudden those temptations fall away because he changes my taste buds. Some of you may be saying, you know, this Christianity thing, man, it's hard. This thing is hard. I know it's right, and I don't want to go to hell, but I, 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 I still want to do those things my flesh desires I don't know if I really want to follow God the way that, you know, I know I'm supposed to. I'm doing the best I can, though. Listen, the Lord wants to change us, where we have a new motivation for living our lives, a new desire. He wants to write his laws on your heart. Where we move from, you know, well, I have to do that, to actually, I want to do that. I want that. I want that instead. We move from I got to to actually, man, I get to. It's a different motivation. Romans 8.13, Paul says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds, the desires, the taste for of the body, of the flesh, and you will live. So Paul says the Spirit actually helps us put to death. Our desires for sin. So if you said, Jason, man, I'm really struggling with sin. Well, come on. Open your heart. Submit to the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill you up. Because he is the one that transforms you. You cannot transform yourself. Let him fill you from the top to the bottom. And we'll talk more about that next week, about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You get a new motivation for living. You no longer want to do the things of the flesh, but you want to do the things of the Spirit. Secondly, what the power of the Holy Spirit does and what Pentecost does in each of our lives is he empowers me to live supernaturally. He empowers me to live supernaturally beyond my ability. God never intended his children to get saved and then live within our own limitations. He never intended that for us. We serve a God who can save, he can deliver, he can do miracles, he can heal our bodies, he can deliver us from evil, he he is a supernatural God. And I would say there's not one person in this room who is like, you know what, I'm okay serving a powerless God. We would all say, I want to serve a powerful God, and I want the reality of that God to manifest himself through my life. All of us would say that. But so many of us have been turned off by the the Holy Spirit's power because it's how it's been packaged. My friends, let me give you this challenge. Please, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can still experience healings. We can experience miracles. We can experience deliverance. We can experience signs and wonders and a powerful God without weird stuff. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, good. (laughs) Listen, we want what this says. And if this says we can have it, then let's not stop until we get it. So, this is what God has for us, to live supernaturally. Supernaturally. Acts 2, 19, actually after the Holy Spirit filled them in the upper room, they were quoting the prophet Joel, actually Peter was, he says, I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth and beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. All this means is it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be like a bomb goes off in a good way. And I'm going to show signs and wonders. That throws people off. But do you know what a wonder is? When God does something and you go, I wonder how that happened. That's all it is. There's not some weird thing to it. That's all it is. Whoa, that's supernatural. We get to, we get to serve a God that is, is, wants to do things for us. He is a supernatural, alive. He's, he is manifesting himself on the earth. And what he does will never fit within our finite minds. It will never do it. And God wants to enable you to live a supernatural life. And we need this more than ever today than it's ever been in history. And I believe that with all of my heart. Do you know that the word, when it's, conf- when it's preached, when you share it with someone, or the word in your own life as you read it, is always to be confirmed by signs and wonders? Did you know that? You know, this is the reality of the one whom we're talking about. This is the one who we're preaching about, who we're walking with, who, who lives in us. He wants to demonstrate his reality through us and in us that we do not serve a powerless God. His word is to be confirmed with supernatural happenings. Which means when you're struggling and you're at a a place of maybe you're depressed or you're at a place of, of anxiety as you read the word, as you press into God, all of a sudden that word is confirmed with signs and wonders. In other words, he confirms his word and he gives you peace when you've had anxiety. When we pray for someone who is sick, we believe that the Word of God has been spoken, that they can be saved or they can be healed, and we pray for them, and that is confirmed by healings. Now, there's a lot of theology about, well, but how does God heal everyone? I don't know. All I know is I've prayed for people, and they've been healed. All I know is Scripture is very clear. He told the disciples, go, heal the sick, and cast out devils. Okay. And they did it. I don't, I don't understand all the other, other layers. All I know is I'm called to be obedient as a child of God. And therefore, someone someone's sick, I won't pray for him. If God heals him, he did it. I didn't do it. Are you crazy? I didn't do anything. It's my job just to seize the opportunity. It's the Holy Spirit's job to give me the divine opportunity. So, I digress there for a second. 2 Corinthians. About God wanting to demonstrate His power through the word when it is preached, is this. Paul says, This, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power. (laughs) That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was a, uh, he was brilliant. He could, man, I'm sure he had a vocabulary of $1,000, words he could pull out and use at any time. But he didn't. He came and he preached the simplicity of the gospel. And the gospel was confirmed by signs and wonders. Listen, he didn't want their faith being built on how clever he was. He didn't want their faith built about how, on, on how funny their video was that, the, that he showed. Or how great the the building was or how how cool the pastor dressed or how whatever. He didn't want any of that. All he wanted, he wanted their faith to be built on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, uh, with, with being creative and showing videos and having a nice place and creating a good atmosphere to worship. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. But it's wrong when we rely on those things instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's wrong when we look to those things to see if we're being successful or not. We need to look. Is the word being confirmed by power? If it is not, we've got some work to do. If God's not changing people's lives, we have some work to do. It's one of our visions at the church. We want changed lives and we want a changed world. We want God to confirm his word through through the change of signs and wonders. Some of you here today, you have great needs. You have great needs, and a church can't meet your needs. No leader or pastor can meet your needs. You need the power of God to rescue you from your situation. That's what you need. That's what all of us need. You don't need somebody to, talking clever and talking about, you don't need me talking about me. You don't need any of that stuff. You need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to be demonstrated when someone talks about His Word and glorifies Him and gives Him room to move in your life. That's what you need. And thirdly, what the Pentecost and what Holy Spirit does for you is that He empowers me to fulfill His mission. Listen, He doesn't empower you for your own personal entertainment. Some Christians just want to experience things so that they can check it off their list and they can have the the latest Holy Spirit goosebumps and say, yeah, 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 I did that. But he wants to empower you because we need to bring a message to a dying, to a confused, to a messed up evil world that needs the power of the Holy Spirit. The real sign of the Holy Spirit, my friends, it's not a tambourine, it's not goosebumps and, and... all that kind of stuff that goes with that. Listen, it's actually one of the signs is where 3,000 people get saved in one day by the preaching of the gospel. Just like that, it happens. I mean, that's good. This actually happened in Acts chapter 2. Peter stood up and he preached his first message after being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter said to them, repent Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You know what I love about Peter? Probably 53 days before this, a little girl came up to him while he was warming his hands outside of Jesus' trial, and she said, hey. Aren't you with that Jesus fellow in there? And he, and he cursed her. He said, I don't know what Jesus is. Forget that. No, no, no. And he went somewhere else and someone says, hey, aren't you that fisherman who hangs out with Jesus? And No, 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 I don't know Jesus. And rejected Jesus the third time. Hey, aren't you that, that guy that hangs out? I've seen you kind of pray for people. No, no, that's not me. I don't know Jesus. And he cursed them. He was afraid to even admit he knew who Jesus was. But then the day of Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit baptizes Peter. And all of a sudden, Peter is no longer limited by his shortcomings, He's no longer limited by what he was not, no longer limited by his fear and anxieties. He stands up on the steps of the temple, and he proclaims a message of Jesus Christ fearlessly, and 3,000 people get saved. That's amazing. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. You know, let's be a church. Let's be Christians. Let's be believers that say, you know what? I'm going to experience Passover, and I'm going to experience His forgiveness, and that's wonderful. And one day I'm going to experience the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus is going to come back. and He's going to get me. He's going to take me out of here. But between all of that, let's be a church that's open to the Holy Spirit. Working in your life, doing something significant in your life. God is not looking. He's not, he's not asking how many letters you have at the end of your name. He's not asking you who your mom and dad are, where'd you come from, what, what part of town, where do you live now, what, how much did your house cost? He's not asking you if you have an education, you don't have an education. He's just looking for a willing vessel. Much like Peter, I, I can relate to Peter, man. I, I, I have no clue why God would choose to use me. But what I do know, when I was young and in school, I, I struggled really bad. I mean, I, I'd read a, a paragraph three, four, five, six times, that I could not understand what it said. My greatest fear on the planet is that the teacher would say, Jason, will you read that for us? Because I couldn't read it. I couldn't understand it, my words. I've never been tested for a learning disability. I guarantee you I have one. But anyway, I've never been tested. And I couldn't read it. I didn't understand what's going on. And the friends around me would, man, they'd be flying through school, making good grades. And I'd be thinking, what's the matter with me? I don't understand. And I got through school at this, I mean, on the skin of my teeth, like, oh. But I'm sure they just passed me because they had mercy on me. At the age of 16, God calls me and he says, at the age of 17, and he says this, I want you to go to Bible college. I thought, boy, that's a joke. Don't you have to read books there? How's that going to work? At the age of 19, I went to Bible college and and I began to, to, to open up the Word of God. I began to read it and all of a sudden, it made sense. And I could read it and I could understand it. God anointed my mind. And I remember at the age of 17, me recommitting myself to Jesus. Me remembering what God did to my life when I was six years old. And I prayed for Him to fill me afresh and anew with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And He did something in my life. And now I'm studying the Bible. And I understand what it means. And not only that, I understand what it doesn't say of some of the back pieces and how it fits together. And He gives me revelation on it. And how does this even work? And then I begin talking and telling people about Jesus. I'm on fire. My bones are on fire. I can't shut them up. They're going to keep going. And that's just how it was. When I was a kid, I struggled so bad stuttering. I remember this one instance. I stood in my parents' bedroom, and I was trying to tell them something. I was excited, and I was just stuttering. I could not. I just stuttered a lot, just d- d- I, could, I couldn't get out. And those who struggle with, with speech, uh, you know, disabled, say, understand, you just can't get it out. My parents would say, take a deep breath and relax and think of what you're going to say and say it. And then I, And I always had a hard time. But now I can't shut up. I'm sorry. And the Holy Spirit is not looking for those who are perfect. He's looking for those who are willing. And I believe God wants to use you. Everyone in this room has got something in their life that says there has to be more than just salvation. God wants to light me on fire. He wants me to transform my nation, transform the world, transform my church, transform the city I live in. There's something in me that is calling me to do something greater than myself. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the vacuum of the Holy Spirit. And He's saying, can I come and feel that? Can I do that inside of you? Can I pulse through your veins? Can I take your life and use you to change Can I flow through you? Are you going to be embarrassed of me? Are you going to be open to me? It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to my life. God gave his son Jesus as a gift for you and me. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit as his gift. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts for our gift. It's for you, it's for today, it's for now, and it's for our church, and we're going to possess it in Jesus' name, I believe it. So my definition from Pentecost is this, Pentecost is about empowering believers with the supernatural ability to fulfill An important mission. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our family worship center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.